Good morning. What a great time of worship. Kevin Scott, everyone who had a part in leading us, thank you for that. We are so blessed here at Taylor's to have those kinds of opportunities every single Sunday. And today was just very special in my heart. I hope it was in yours. And I love that last affirmation that we all sing, we shall not be shaken. And we sing that and we mean that and we long for that, but we all know the reality of life that many times we do get shaken. And there's some reasons for that and we're looking at that as we make our way through our study. I want to ta- invite you to take your copy of God's Word with you this morning and turn to Nehemiah, the third chapter. Now, if you, if you can't find Nehemiah, it's one of those books that are a little, a little hard to find. Start in the book of Psalms. Most of us can find Psalms. Move back a book to Job. Move back another book to Esther, and then you'll find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3 we'll be looking at today. One of my favorite authors and speakers, Chuck Swindoll, has said something, and I've actually put the quote in your message guide, but Chuck Swindoll said this, life is a series of incredible opportunities that are often brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Life is a series of incredible opportunities that are often brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Now, that's a very different way to look at life and life's problems and life's struggles. But I do believe it has a biblical foundation. As I look at the sweep of Scripture, I see over and over again, that God delights in taking seemingly impossible situations and turning them into incredible opportunities that, believe it or not, will bring about our ultimate good, but more than that, will bring about His greater glory. I think of the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, arriving there at the Red Sea, impossible situation. I think of Joshua at Jericho, impossible situation. I think of David battling Goliath, impossible situation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing the fiery furnace. Daniel at the lion's den. I think of 5,000 hungry people sitting there staring at five loaves and two fish, an impossible situation. I think about Peter in prison, Paul on a ship about to wreck on a reef, the Apostle John exiled there on the island of Patmos, and yet it was was out of that exile, it was out of that painful experience that he penned the incredible book of Revelation. Over and over again in the pages of God's Word, God takes what to you and to me and to these others surely seemed like absolutely impossible situations, and he turned them into incredible opportunities 
that promoted his glory and his fame and his praise. And don't forget what was surely, from a human perspective, the most impossible-looking situation of all. I'm talking about what happened on a hill called Calvary. What happened on an old rugged cross. You see, when Jesus died, God took the very worst that humanity could throw at Him. And yet, what to mankind seemed like the greatest of all defeats, God transformed into the greatest of all victories. It's why you and I are here today. It's why we have hope. It's why we have assurance. It's why we have a future. So I want to ask you a question this morning. And I I want you to think. Just be honest. What in your life today seems to you to be an absolutely impossible situation? What circumstance is facing you today? What challenge? What problem are you dealing with? What a headache or heartache is confronting you this morning that it just to you seems absolutely impossible to overcome. No matter how hard you've tried, no matter how much energy you have expended, no matter how many prayers you have prayed, no matter, no matter what solution you may have come up with, You can't solve this problem. You can't overcome this difficulty, this challenge. You can't find victory in this situation. So I'm going to dare you to do something this morning. As we used to say when we were kids, I'm going to D-double-dog dare you to do something this morning. Okay? I dare you. I dare you right now, this morning, to take that problem in your life, that issue, that circumstance, and look at it as an incredible opportunity that is brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation. Could you take that dare this morning? To look at whatever it is in your life that you cannot deal with and look at it as an incredible opportunity that is brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation. It will change your outlook on life and it will change your outlook on whatever it is that you may be struggling with this morning. This is exactly what we're dealing with as we come again to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. If you've been following along in this study to this point, you will know that the story of Nehemiah is the story of a culture and a community gone bad. It is the story of a city and a culture that is in crisis and has been in crisis for 141 
years, for 141 years since the destruction of the city of Jerusalem at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of the Babylonian Empire. The city of Jerusalem has been in shambles for 141 years. The people living in that city have been living in fear. They've been living in disgrace for 141 years. They've been at the mercy of their enemies for 141 years. They have known nothing but misery, despair, hopelessness. I mean, every single morning when the people got up and every single night when they went to bed for 141 years, the broken down walls and the devastation in the city of Jerusalem mocked them. It ridiculed them. It reminded them that they were a powerless and a defeated people. It was an impossible situation. And yet here's the thing that, that just astounds me. Jerusalem was the city of God. The people living there were the people of God. And for 141 years, they had lived in defeat, despair, discouragement. Wasn't supposed to be. What in the world had happened? What's going on? Well, let me, let me share some things with you this morning, some of which I realize I've referenced before. So this may seem like a little bit of a review, but it's important for you to remember and for me to remember these things because here's the fact. We're going to deal with the exact same things when we find ourselves confronting our own impossible situations, whatever those may be. So let me share two or three things with you this morning. Three. Here's the first thing we need to know about this story. Uh, we know Nehemiah was called of God, and we've, we've tracked this through chapters 1 and 2. He was called of God to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. But here's the deal. Rebuilding those walls was a truly overwhelming task. It was absolutely an overwhelming task. Now, Bible scholars differ in coming to a conclusion about exactly how big the city of Jerusalem was in Nehemiah's day. Because they can't agree on how big the city was, there's not a lot of, uh, of agreement on how big the walls of the city were. But even conservative estimates would place the circumference uh, of those walls surrounding Jerusalem at somewhere between three and a half and four miles circumference of walls. So th this was not a little garden fence. This wasn't a dainty picket fence around a farmhouse somewhere. This wasn't even a brick wall. These were massive walls that were designed to protect that entire city. Some say that they may have been as much as 20 feet high, perhaps as much as 10 feet wide. They were constructed of massive stones weighing hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, and the destruction of those walls was almost total as the Babylonian army had come in and knocked them down, tumbling many of those biggest stones down into the surrounding valleys. 
If you go back to chapter 2, verse 14 of Nehemiah, you will read there that while Nehemiah was making his initial inspection of the damage, he tells us there that, the, that some of the damage was so great that he and his horse could not even get through it. So this was a truly overwhelming task confronting the people. They were, they were just, they were overwhelmed by it. Secondly, Nehemiah was confronting a history of defeat. Now, I've mentioned this to you before, but not only was the task overwhelming, but this was not the first time it had been attempted. It had been attempted before, not once, but twice. First, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, that was about 80 years prior to Nehemiah. And then just 12 to 13 years before Nehemiah, Another attempt was made to rebuild the walls in the city under the leadership of Ezra. But both of those attempts had failed for a, for a multiplicity of reasons. The, the immensity of the task, the opposition of, of the enemies of God's people, and also, not insignificantly, because of the sinfulness and self-centeredness of the people themselves. So Nehemiah was working against a history of defeat. They had tried, and they had tried, and they had tried, and they had failed. Finally, because of that, third thing, the potential workers here, those who were going to try to rebuild the wall, were discouraged. You see, the only people Nehemiah had to work with when he got to Jerusalem were the people who were living there, the same people who had tried to rebuild and had failed twice. He wasn't bringing in a bunch of enthusiastic newcomers with him. He was dealing with the people who were there, working with people who were, as we would have probably been at this point, thoroughly discouraged and defeated. Now, why do I tell you those three things? Because this is also our story, isn't it? Much of the time. Our own circumstances and our problems and our struggles sometimes are so great that we get absolutely overwhelmed just by the immensity of what we're dealing with. I I had several people come up to me after the first service and say, I'm just dealing with an overwhelming, it's just, I, I don't even know how to begin to get my arms around this issue that's either in my life or in the life of someone I love. Oftentimes, we're we're staring also at a history of defeat because we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and we've tried to deal with something and nothing's changed. And that leads us right down the pathway to discouragement. So that's our story, not just Nehemiah's. But here's the good news. Here's the astounding and exciting thing that the book of Nehemiah has been telling us over and over and over again. Here's the truth I want to have reverberating in your heart this morning and that you leave here with, and it is this. Your overwhelming problem is no match for your overcoming God. Now, we've sung that this morning, right? Haven't we said we shall not be shaken? Why? It's not because of us. It's because of God. We have sung that. We have affirmed that. Would you hear it again? 
My overwhelming problem, your overwhelming problem, is no match for our overcoming God. Our failure, no matter how often we may have failed, is not final. But it's not automatic either. And this is why we need to come and look and see what God's Word has to say to us. And you need to understand this morning that His Word to His Old Testament people is the same Word He gives to His New Testament people today. And you can read it in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 3 through 4. Look at it with me. Isaiah says, To all who mourn in Israel, the Lord will give a crown of beauty for ashes. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. For they will, listen to this, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. In other words, it doesn't matter how impossible the situation may seem. It doesn't matter how long you may have struggled with it. It doesn't matter how encouraged you may be. The lesson of Nehemiah is your overwhelming problem is no match for your overcoming God. But how do we get in on that? That's the question. How do we get in on that? Well, chapter 3, where we're going to spend our time today. Now, If you've already looked at Nehemiah chapter 3, some of you may already be thinking, oh, wait a minute now, preacher, I'm I'm, I'm looking at this chapter. What in the world? This is nothing more than a a list of forgotten names that nobody can pronounce. Have you ever tried to pronounce some of the names in this chapter? I'm going to try to avoid them as much as I can. And preacher, this this is just a list of dusty details about construction work nobody really really cares about I'm looking at it it says this person did this and so and so built that and he worked here and they worked there boring let me say something to you be very very careful about your first impressions when you come to a chapter like this you see every part of God's word has a purpose Every single chapter, every single verse has its significance. And if we will look at this chapter carefully and prayerfully, it becomes something to me anyway. It's very dramatic and very exciting. And it also explains the title of this message, which some of you are still scratching your heads about. I know. I've entitled this message, How to Eat the Elephant in My Room. Or how to eat the elephant in your room. Now that ought not to be a very strange title. Probably most of you have heard somebody ask the question, how do you eat an elephant? What's the answer? One bite at a time. That's right. Many of you have also heard somebody talk about the elephant in the room. And that usually refers to something that nobody really wants to deal with. It's massive, but it's it's at the root of the issue and nobody really wants to confront it. Well, I've kind of combined those two I don't know if those are metaphors. I'm not sure what those are, but I've combined those two things into a title, How to Eat the Elephant in My Room. What I mean by that is this. The only way you or I 
will ever be able to deal with the things in our lives that are so big and are so overwhelming is to divide it up into manageable sections and deal with one section at a time. And that's what we're going to see happening here in Nehemiah chapter 3. Some of you here this morning, if you were honest, would say, Preacher, I'm discouraged. I'm defeated. I'm overwhelmed. I'm discouraged. I'm dispirited. Because there is an elephant in my life. It's an elephant in my life. And it's just, it's just too much for me to handle. Preacher, the problem in my marriage is just too big. Pastor, the struggle with my kids is just too hard. Alan, the obstacles in my life are just too great. Listen, knucklehead, the challenges in my life are they're just too much. You don't understand. The circumstances facing me are just too bad. Well, absolutely. If you're looking at the whole elephant. This is why for 141 years, the people in Jerusalem had been living in defeat and despair and discouragement. They'd been looking at the whole elephant, and all they could say was, it's too big. It's just, this is too big. I cannot deal with it. So so Nehemiah has to come along and essentially say, would you stop looking at the whole elephant? Instead, Would you understand that the only way really to deal with a situation like this is for us to carve it up into manageable sections and begin to deal with those things one at a time? This is biblical. This is scriptural. This is God's Word to you and to me this morning. And the incredible thing we see in chapter 3 is that when God's people began to do this, God was able to move, and in just 52 days, 52 days, He was able to solve this 141-year-old problem. In just 52 days, less than two months, God was able to deal with something that had plagued His people for almost a century and a half. But here's the thing we need to understand as we lift this story out of the pages of history and bring it into our own reality. What we need to understand is that what God did with the broken down walls in Jerusalem, He can do with whatever's broken in your life. What he did there, he can absolutely do here. And he can take that impossible situation, if you will deal with it in his way, and he can turn it into an incredible opportunity that will be more than anything you might ever imagine, and it will be for his greater glory. 
So let's look at this chapter. And let's see what God is doing here because there's some great lessons here for you and me. Now, there are a lot of people doing a lot of stuff in here. And I just had, I just had a lot of fun this week going through these verses and looking and seeing what these different people did. Kind of amazing. I know if you're looking at your message guide, you've got a long list of things there I've got. Don't worry, we're not going to deal with all that this morning. In fact, I'm just going to deal with the first point. And here's, here, here's what I want you to see right out of the chute, right out of the gate. If you want to find victory, if you want to be able to eat this elephant, if you want to be able to deal with this elephant in, in your room, here's the first thing you must do. Dedicate that impossible situation to the Lord for His glory. Do it right now. Take that impossible situation, whatever it may be, dedicate it to the Lord for His glory. Why should you do that? Because, listen, in, in situations like this, the easy thing to do is to focus on ourselves. I'm asking you to stop focusing on yourself and dedicate this thing to the Lord for His glory because there's something He wants to do in it for His glory. Now, we see this at the very beginning of chapter 3 in verse 1 where we see the priests taking part in rebuilding the walls. And here's the thing. We don't just see the priest here in verse 1. We see them in verse 17 where we read about the Levites. They were priests working on the walls. And then in verse 22, if you look at that, we see the priests again. And again in verse 28, we read about the priests being strategically involved in rebuilding the walls. In other words, the priests were scattered throughout this chapter and they're scattered throughout this building project. That's significant because every other individual or group of people in this chapter is given their own single section of the wall to work on and that's it. The priests are scattered everywhere. You see them throughout this chapter working on different things. Why is that? Well, there is a reason for that, and we get a clue to it in verse 1, in a word that is used twice. It's the word the New International Version translates dedicated. It's what the English Standard Version translates consecrated. Look at verse 1 with me. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They, here's the word, consecrated it and set its doors. They, here's the word again, consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred. Now this word consecrate or dedicate, depending on your translation, is a word that refers to something that someone takes and they set apart as holy unto the Lord for His glory and for His praise. Now, the priests are dedicating something. They are consecrating something here. What are they dedicating and consecrating? A wall. Gates, doors, towers. Why are they dedicating and consecrating? Why are they setting apart as holy for the praise of God a wall? Because it was more than a wall. You see, in Nehemiah's day, the walls of a city represented power. Walls of a city represented protection. Protection. 
Walls of a city represented provision. And when walls of a city were broken down, it revealed that the people living in that city were a defeated people. And no broken down walls, as I said a minute ago, no broken down walls were more tragic than the broken down walls of Jerusalem because this was God's city. This is where God's people were living. And so if you understand those walls represented the power of God, the protection of God, then when people out there looked at that city, you know what they would be thinking? Well, their God must not be very powerful. Their God must not be able to do anything about this situation. Their God must not care about what's going on. And that was a terrible testimony. And it's a terrible testimony when they're broken down walls and broken down relationships and broken down all kinds of things in our lives because when you and I as God's people are living in defeat, you know what it says to the world out there? (laughs) Well, your God must not make any difference. Yeah, you can stand in here and sing. We will not be shaken, but you're shaken. (laughs) So much is broken in your life, and you're living in defeat and despair and discouragement. Does your God really work? Is the message you proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ, does it really make any difference in your life? So the priests get out there and get in the middle of everything to make sure that this work maintained a spiritual perspective, a divine perspective. Because i got to tell you, church, the people weren't just rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the walls of God. They were involved in lifting up the name of Jehovah among the nations there, among people who were looking at their situation to see if their God really was going to make a difference. I want to say something to you, and I want to say it to me this morning as well. Whatever impossible situation you may be dealing with, whatever problem, whatever struggle you may be dealing with, the the question you need to ask and I need to ask is, is not, God, how can you get me out of this impossible situation? The question we need to ask is, God, how do you want to turn this thing into an opportunity to bring glory to yourself? I want to dedicate this impossible situation to you, God. I want to give it to you. I want to take my hands off it. I'm going to quit trying to tell you what needs to be done and how to fix it. And I'm going to give this to you, God, so you can take this impossible situation and turn it into an incredible opportunity for your glory so that the people out there will know that you are real. And they will know that you make a difference. And that they know that your power's at work in my life. And it makes all the difference in the way I navigate through life. You see what we so often do when we're struggling with an impossible situation is we put all of our focus on the fix. God, can you just please fix this? God, can you just please deal with the pain? Can you just somehow eliminate this struggle? But I want you to know God has a greater purpose than that in mind. 
He wants to work in those broken places. He wants to work on those broken walls. He wants to take those impossible situations and he wants to turn them into incredible opportunities that, yes, ultimately will be for your greater good, but most important of all, will be for his greater glory so that the people out there will know the difference he really makes in here. See, we can talk all day long. We can sing, we can worship, all the things that we do that are so wonderful in here. But if we're out there and we're living defeated, dispirited, dejected lives, then it tells the world our faith is not real. It tells the world our God is not powerful. Wherever there are broken places, whether it's in your own life, your family, your church, our community, or our nation, it says that God really isn't powerful enough and we don't really have enough faith to believe that He can make a difference. So this morning, I dare you. I D-double-dog dare you this morning to take, to dedicate, to consecrate that seemingly impossible situation to God so that He can turn it into an incredible opportunity for His glory. Now, there are a lot of things, other things we're going to look at, but here's where we got to start. Here's where we got to start. Dedicate right now that impossible situation to God and ask Him to turn it into an incredible opportunity for His glory. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning for Your Word. We are thankful for how You speak to us in the reality of our own experiences of life. And we come like Nehemiah so many times to deal with situations that are absolutely overwhelming. They defy our abilities. Many times we're dealing with a history of defeat. Over and over again, we've come against these broken down walls and we've walked away defeated. And because of that, we walk in discouragement and despair. Oh God, today, I thank You for Your Word, which assures us that the devastated cities of our lives, the broken down walls of our experience will be rebuilt, though they have been devastated for years. If you could fix a 141-year-old problem in Nehemiah's day in just 52 days, you can deal with the situations, the broken walls in our own lives. And we ask you, Father, by your Spirit, to begin doing that as we dedicate and consecrate that impossible situation to you. So we give it to you. We set it apart for your praise and your glory. We take our hands off of it and our focus stops being on ourselves. And we say, God, you do something with this. 
that will demonstrate your power, your, your, your reality, your greatness, so that the people out there who are looking in will really understand that you're real, that you're powerful, that you can make a difference because you're making that difference in my life. And because you're making it in my life, maybe somebody else will want to see that same difference made in his or her life. Lord, we can't do this. We can't live the Christian life in our own strength. We certainly can't deal with the elephants in our rooms in our own strength. But you can. As our overwhelming circumstances are no match for you, our overcoming God. So Lord, whatever decision we may need to make this morning, maybe it's right at the point of this message. Or maybe there's someone here today who knows in his or her heart of hearts they have never really personally come to the foot of the cross, received Christ as Lord and Savior, experienced His forgiveness, and started out on a journey of passionately following Him. Lord, if there's someone here today who needs to make that life-altering decision, to give all of life to Christ. I pray today would be the day that person would do that. If someone needs to unite with this church home and make this their church family, someone would say, I want to be a part, God, of what you're doing at Taylor's First Baptist Church. I sense there's something significant you want to do there. I want to be part of that. And I pray that person might come this morning. Whatever else may need to be determined, decided this morning, as your Holy Spirit dares us, to step out and become the people you've called us to be. I pray we'll do it. For your honor and glory is the prayer we pray in Jesus' name.